So let's get over to the news. <clears throat> Got some really good news for you. Uh, the nose knows good marketing. How scent amplified this event marketing piece from Ashley Roberts. <clears throat> so I just got this in the mail yesterday. Let's see if I can switch it over back to my cam. I got this mailing piece in the mail yesterday. And I don't know if you can see it. I don't know where the best is. Register now with a van going off into the desert. And it's for the Printing United show. And it turns out, I know I asked myself because there's nobody else here. Uh, if this thing has taken place yet or not, I went to Namoa, uh, could have gone to this, I suppose, instead. I've been to a couple of Print United events, um, always nice people. Anyway, but I noticed on here that it had this big sunshine thing, and it says, <clears throat> is it me or does the sun smell funny? Scratch and sniff to see. And you don't even have to rub it because you can smell it a little bit. But I'll rub it a little and see how it works, okay? Yep, yep. Smells like coconut bananas. <clears throat> Something like sunscreen. That's what the idea is. Now I got it all over me. Anyway, no, it's not bad. It's very, very faint. I know there's regulations on this stuff. And so, uh, and so this came in the mail, and I didn't smell it until just now. Can't smell it from the back. And it basically has information not about the print show, but about the uh, printer was Anro from Pennsylvania, uh, printed on a Heidelberg Speedmaster SM102, and uh, using Sensphere Rub and Smell UV Offset Varnish. And so the article goes on to say that this um, that this Sensphere stuff is encapsulated. Uh, scent technology. You can put all kinds of different smells on it, but it basically is is designed to run on any print platform, and that's the part that's pretty interesting to me. Uh, it says you can do it with any varnish equipment. Um, I wish it would have been nice. You know, I would have been. I mean, it would have been fun if they could also do a spot varnish on like the van or something, just to make this pop a little bit more. Everything looks unvarnished, uh, even though the encapsulated smell is varnished. And there's also a mention on the back that uh, this this can raise response by as much as 50%. I I always shake my head at those statistics because you know the layout. I mean the 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 question I have always. This is my question for Brad, who's doing the QR code technology, which is over here. Is and here's the mug that Brad sent me. Thank you, Brad. Uh, use it. If anybody sends me a mug, you know, but also I'd love it if you were a corporate member because I do talk you up a lot. It says that <clears throat> this this piece may qualify for a 4% discount. And if you print more than 200,000 of a piece, <clears throat> which we used to do all the time, um, then that 4% pretty much pays for, more than pays for the whole thing. In fact, you actually, uh, you know, get a little bit of savings compared to the cost of the spot varnish, which is interesting. I think it's interesting. <clears throat> we talk about printing here. And so uh, if you want more information, there's a guy here. Where This is a long article from Ashley Roberts. Let's see. 
and it talks about the boost. And Mark Bernstein, here's the guy's name. He's the president of Sensphere. And if you're a printer, you probably heard about this. I did call um, Mary England at Amazon Graphics up in St. Paul and ask her about scent printing a couple of weeks ago. And she said there's some kinds that they're, that, that they're having trouble sourcing, uh, but there's other kinds that were available. And she mentioned that the, the scratch and sniff was still uh, a, a kind that they could do. So wanted to bring you up to speed. Um, I hope you can make it to the print show. And thank you for putting me on your mailing list. Okay. <clears throat> Sticker shock. Direct-to-consumer marketing, omnichannel pivots are pricey. So this is about people who uh, have been in retail and are going, are pivoting to direct-to-consumer. I did a project long ago with Chicago Cutlery and uh, actually owned by General Housewares who had a line like Calphalon. I can never remember the name of their line, but it's that heavy uh, industrial or or professional cookware. They also made um, they also made the the kind of ceramic like like tin cup um, stuff you'd see on westerns and and around the campfire that kind of that kind of cookery um, and a, and a few other lines. But main, Chicago Cutlery is probably their, their most famous. And they they were stamping the 800 number on the bottoms of the pans. That they sold just for more information you know uh, it, it really didn't say that they you could buy online but you could and they were doing about it seems to me they were doing about a hundred thousand dollars a month just from that one just from that 800 number being stamped on some of the merchandise and uh, no retailers were complaining but they wanted to accelerate that they wanted to look like the chef's catalog or William Sonoma or something like that and so I ran all the numbers, and I figured out a way that they could be profitable, a profitable $5 million business, uh, which was a five, you know, five-fold, 500% increase over what they were doing. Um, and when I presented it, they were very disappointed. Uh, I did it so that they would be break-even or profitable the whole way. And um, so that slows down the growth. What I didn't understand was I didn't understand – what their real need was, and uh, really, this is one of my great regrets in consulting. <laughs> I showed them how they could be profitable and and self-funded, but they weren't. In, they were more upset because they told me that companies like Kmart and Walmart uh, and Kohl's and those kind of companies, and I think at the time they'd just been ripped off by Kmart. Um, who declared bankruptcy and they said what they do is they declare bankruptcy and talk about how terrible it is and then a judge says okay you you can just pay 10 cents on the dollar to every invoice and he said in many cases we ship it to them and they don't owe us money until after it sells so essentially they have our merchandise that they haven't paid for and all of a sudden instead of paying us what they owe they pay us one-tenth of that Basically, they steal our inventory uh, and just, you know, say, sorry, <laughs> sorry, the judge says we can do this. Okay, so, and it happens every five or ten years, they said, some big, re or they said, some, uh, or the buyer changes, and all of Kohl's says, we don't want to do Chicago cutlery, we want something that looks a little more elegant, 
you know, we'll do Henkel's or we'll do their the chef's chef's master such and such that looks a lot like it but isn't you know made as well. I have a couple of Chicago cutlery. They really do hold an edge well. Uh, it's not the stainless that that keeps so clean and everything like that. But stainless doesn't hold an edge like carbon steel. And so the Chicago cutlery um, were real carbon steel. And, and uh, they, you know, you sharpen them. They're easy to sharpen and they hold a really, really good edge. But they're not as pretty as some of the other brands. They're not that expensive. Anyway, so when I showed them my presentation, they said, oh, that's great. But that wouldn't replace one retailer if they get mad at us for doing this. You know, we even worked out a, a system where something based off Sears, Sears used to give 10% of the retail sales, something like that, back to the store that was uh, the closest to where the sale for where the buyer was, you know, was buying from. So if you bought from the sales, the Sears catalog <clears throat> and you spent $100, $10 went to the store that was nearest you. And the stores loved it because it was like free money. They made more on that deal than they made on the on the net profit of their stores and so <clears throat> they just loved it it was always like print more print more you know send out more catalogs because <clears throat> they didn't have to pay for the catalogs you know there was no risk to them uh, and one day the accounting team at Sears said this five billion dollar business this five billion dollar catalog business is losing money like crazy well they weren't losing ten percent <laughs> it was just going into a different pocket actually more precisely and but instead of figuring it out they just shut the thing down 800 people were fired in one day you know and easily we could have taken a five billion dollar company and and you know found the good buyers used a little lifetime value and rfm and and you know even more precise modeling and we could have made it into a very profitable four billion or three billion dollar business but they just decided to shut it all down so anyway uh, watch out for the accountants. Anyway, so Chicago Cutlery really wanted to be a $50 million business or something like that that was spinning off $10 million in profit uh, so that they could, they could weather storms of the retailers. And that's one of the principles. If you're going to go direct to consumer, you know, Nike <clears throat> experimented with that by going into Amazon first, and then they decided to shut off Amazon and go with their own website. And, but they went in a big way. You got to go in a big way because whether you go big or you go small, I worked with uh, Mercury Outboard and they wanted to sell jackets and hats with Mercury on them. And uh, they wanted to do, you know, just fun stuff and uh, and have a have a more like a Mercury Outboard club. It's a very, very strong brand. And we worked out a plan where the where the where the buyer, the, the consumer would have to pick up their their shipment at the store so it was really done with the with the with the uh, dealers in mind but dealers can get real touchy and um, John Deere did a did a dealer catalog Katie Muldoon did it and they you know they mailed it out to consumers it, it didn't really look it didn't really capture the spirit of John Deere you know who invented the composite plow that broke up the prairie but it, but it was pretty. <clears throat> but within a year, I talked to one of the guys from John Deere. I saw him at a show, and I asked him about it. And he said, yeah, within one year, the dealers got upset about it 
and said, you're just trying to sell direct. You're just going to sell our, our lawn tractors. You're going to sell them direct and cut us out and shut it down. Pressure from the dealers just shut it down, even though it did real well. It wasn't selling any lawnmowers. just had pictures of the lawn tractors. Um, so you have to be careful how you do it. And uh, we had worked out that we could even do a similar thing like Sears with the with the Chicago Cutlery Catalog, where you know if it if we if if needed we could actually give the retailer some some percentage of the sale uh, if they were carrying Chicago Cutlery. But they really wanted it to scale bigger. They didn't care so much about losing some money in the beginning because they said we lose a lot of money when they declare bankruptcy. So that was their context. It's always important to understand the context of what's going on. So anyway, <clears throat> this article explains that it's it's getting real expensive in digital media. And so uh, direct consumers are being hit, uh, brands are being hit hard with a lot of digital. Um, they've been hit, they've hit the saturation point on digital channels like social media and display, and driving further up the cost of acquisition. And so the question is where to spend those dollars amid rising cost per acquisition. Social becomes prohibit, cost prohibitive, so they're looking at options like TV and direct mail. Um, and we've all, you know, we've pointed out over and over that if you're if you're paying five bucks a click <clears throat> with a 50% bounce rate, you're paying ten dollars for for a quasi real engagement you know and at that after that it you know you're going to expect a percent or two like mail but you're spending ten dollars to get to that one or two percent uh whereas you can do that in mail for a dollar you can do a nice catalog or you know let's say a dollar fifty but it's nothing compared to the cost of pay-per-click and your ad may not even get seen you know maybe get bots that's not figuring in the 30 percent fraud that you can probably expect. So anyway, <clears throat> uh, a great many brands are digitally native and may not have experience buying into other channels like mail. We've actually developed with uh, Market Builder down in Arizona. Market Builder has developed, and I, you know, gave them a little bit of feedback on it. It's all I did. They developed a, a, a mail, direct mail interface that it looks very much like buying digital advertising. Uh, on the web and uh, so it's designed for digital native marketing people and uh, if your brand is considering mail I would say this would be a really great a really great on-ramp you know yes you can go right to a catalog but it's going to be very very difficult for your people and you can you know you can outsource it all but you know, my experience with outsourcing is that it isn't very cost-effective in catalog development because there's so much hands-on uh, in pagination and photography and all that. And so this is, it's like training wheels. And it has some real advantages in, in uh, customer acquisition and in building your direct-to-consumer data set. So uh, if you're interested, give me a call or... John at WDMA.org. We'll get, we'll get it there. So uh, according to the LOB report, direct mail was consistently delivering the best ROI of any channel that was used by something like two-thirds of the marketers 
And there was a couple of thousand marketers. It was a pretty big study, a lab report. I mean, it had a vested interest in mail. Direct mail makes use of a richer data set often built on purchase history, which means a brand can adjust to deeper data signals, such as customer lifetime value. So on your own first-party data, you can see the progression of, of downstream revenue, and, and you can figure that into your pro forma for venturing in this direction. And that's probably what we should have done with with Chicago Cutlery, um, is give them a better idea of the stickiness of the male customer. We find that the lifetime value can be as much as four times higher uh, in, in long-term profit for the, uh, for the direct male acquired buyer. And I've seen that with several of my clients. And Travis Seaton said that he has seen similar things, which is why so many catalogers went out of business by switching over to customer acquisition through digital. We saw it where they thought they were getting a great deal. They were spending one-third the money to acquire customers, but the lifetime value was even less, was like one quarter. And so a year later, they still think they've got the same quality of house file, but they don't because the acquisition was completely different. And that's the tricky part with lifetime value. You know, you can't assume that the customer value is constant when you're changing other factors. Something to think about. So direct mail uh, can unlock lifetime customers. It's also a good tool if you're if you have customer information and you'd like to refresh it. You can often mail, in spite of CCPA or GDPR, you can mail a postcard to reactivate them, whereas you can't do email. You're prohibited from doing that once a certain time frame expires. So the first step is to invest in first party data. What we want you to do is we want you to get uh, some idea of whether your first party data is any good. And I'm working with a retailer and they have, they thought they had about 10,000 names. They have, they had, a, turned out they had more than 120,000. Now, are they any good? Well, that remains to be seen. But there's ways to ease into that question. You don't just have to mail the whole banana. But if you don't have customer addresses, that would be a, a first step to take at least a test segment and see how many addresses that you can get or start doing IP and, and cookie-based uh, address lookup uh, as people visit your website. And uh, you don't necessarily have to immediately mail them and do retargeting with mail, but you can start acquiring. Now, that's the tricky part. It depends on who you use and how they interpret the uh, and how, how they interpret privacy rules on whether or not those can constitute a transaction and whether they can be used. It's a little trickier than you might think, and some just some of them just prohibited in their contract that you don't. That's their name and you don't get it, and I avoid those. <laughs> but anyway, you know, get get some good advice on that one, but. There are many, many ways to help with your first-party data when you start engaging with your customers, okay? Um, boards want to hear more on topics like lifetime value and data activation. And uh, the drive to retention and acquisition is more important uh, in a co cohesive omni-channel, especially if the new customer acquisition is softening dramatically. So thank you for that from Renee Hamill, VP of Client Engagement at Alliant. 
have a great day. Like and share. Sorry for the technical difficulties. It looks like things are working better than ever, so I'm happy about that. Take care. Bye-bye.